Well, it's good to be with you this evening, and I do hope that you've had a good Sunday, a Sunday that's been spent in God's Word and in fellowship with the saints of God and uh, rejoicing in all that God has done for you. Uh, that's why we meet. I mean, there's many reasons why, but those are some of the big ones. And uh, if you are not getting fed from the Word, or you are not having fellowship and being sharpened as iron is sharpened uh, by iron, uh, then you're missing out. <laughs> and you need to come a little bit more <laughs> to church. You need to sit a little bit longer. Uh, this evening, I would like to cover a topic, which is a little bit unusual. I know um, the people from Wagga will... Uh, tell you that I generally grab one passage and I take one to five verses and that's it and we don't even go outside of that passage generally um, but this one topic keeps coming up as we've been going through uh, the book of Romans over the last year and a bit um, we continue to hit this one topic over and over again but just a verse here or there and so I haven't been able to uh, do a whole sermon just on this topic and yet it keeps coming up, and I think it's important for us to understand how God uses our conscience and what purpose our conscience can have in leading other souls to Christ and in um, changing our minds. To start us off, I would like us to turn to Romans chapter 2. And in verse 15, and we get a picture of the conscience of the unsaved man. Uh, Paul deals with the conscience often. I have over 30 passages where either the word conscience or the idea of conscience is used. But here, Paul shows us the conscience of the unsaved man. That's Romans chapter 2 and verse 15. He says of them that they uh, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. We have here Paul saying that all people have a conscience. If we were to look up in the dictionary what a conscience is, it would be declared to be a moral compass or the ability to tell right from wrong. Each person has such a thing in them. It's inbuilt. From a Christian perspective, we see that God has given each person a soul and the conscience is like the nerve. It can uh, experience pain or pleasure, it can tell us whether something doesn't feel right or if something doesn't feel exactly 100%, or it can sh show us that everything is right. It is not always correct. We will get to that later. The conscience is not a good guide. The world would say, let your conscience be your guide, um, but that's not true. <laughs> your conscience can't be right 100%. Um, unless it is trained by the word of God. But the conscience is very useful. 
Another uh, picture of what the conscience would be like is like the inner ear. For those of you who know, the inner ear is what gives us the ability to keep our balance. It tells us if we're holding our head straight. And if we start to lean one way or the other, the inner ear can tell the minutest change, the smallest shift one way or the other, and that helps us then to keep our balance, to walk, to run. It helps us to keep perspective on where the horizon is. Our inner ear is very important that way, and the conscience works exactly the same as that. It is centered on God, and it keeps us level. It says, oh, you've turned a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left. You're leaning forward now. You're leaning back. And always it's trying to bring us back to being in line with God and his will. Paul makes that clear here in verse 15, that this is the law of God which is written in their hearts and is borne witness of by their conscience. The conscience, as I said, is not a perfect or infallible guide. We can trick it, just like your inner ear. If you do some of those funny things astronauts do, you know, the five-way spin thing, and you can trick your inner ear into thinking that you're falling when you're, you know, rising up in the elevator. It's easy to get turned around. But it is a useful tool. Notice it says, bearing witness. The conscience testifies as to whether we are on track or not. Every person has this uh, inbuilt compass that points to God. And the conscience is what we call it. The world recognizes that they are moral beings. They say, yep, we know there is such a thing as right and wrong, and we know it when we see it. They don't realize it, but they're saying we all have a conscience. This is very useful when giving the gospel. You don't need to convince someone that they have a conscience. You don't need to convince them that there is right and wrong. All you need to do is inform their conscience or give them a test case. And then when their conscience points true, they will have an internal witness going on with your external witness. So you say, murder is wrong. You say that to 100 people, and probably 99% of them are going to say, you're right. The one who didn't probably was a murderer. <laughs> uh, and he probably realizes it's wrong, too. He just doesn't want to admit it. So you can use the Bible and the truth of it, pointing out sin, and internally they will have to agree. Whether they vocally say it, their conscience will bear witness to them about the truth. It'll point and say, that sounds right. There are things that are good. There are things that are bad. Some of the things I've done, I'm not proud of. When you're witnessing, you can use phrases like that. Have you ever done something that you're not proud of? Something that you would hope that nobody knows about? Something that is bad? And their conscience will bring uh, to their memory Things that they have done that haven't been right. And whether they were good or bad is not the issue. Those things they did, whether they were good or bad, their conscience 
told them it was bad and they still did it. They broke their own internal laws. And so you can use that and say, God doesn't let you get away with it. You have been accused. You have been condemned by your own soul. You can't get away. Let's go now to Romans chapter 13. And verse 5, that's Romans 13, 5. Paul now uses conscience in a different way. And he is saying that conscience has just as important a role to play in the saved person's life. And he uses the conscience as an argument for us to subject ourselves to those who are in authority to us. Um, we'll start reading in verse 3, and then verse 5 is the one we want to focus on. Uh, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of their power, of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. In this passage, he'd been making a great case for us submitting to the authorities in our life, whether they were governmental or more close to us, to submit to those authorities because they bear not the sword in vain, because there's judgment we might face if we disobey. And then here he says, not just because of wrath, or not just because we're afraid of a punishment that might be coming, but because of our conscience. To keep your conscience clear, obey those who are in authority over you. It's simple. God, here Paul is using the conscience as a reason for us to obey. To follow the leadership of those who are in authority over us. For conscience sake. We see here that Paul assumes that you understand how the conscience works. He assumes that you understand that the conscience will approve or disapprove what you do and that living with your conscience is something that's hard to do. If the conscience is calling you guilty, you can't get away from it. The only thing people try and do is keep so busy they have no time to think about it. But then as soon as they try and go to sleep, they can't because their guilty conscience keeps them up. So if you want to have a clear conscience, be subject to those in authority. So Paul here uses the conscience as a, a reason. The Christian is no less subject to their consciences. And again here, Paul didn't say your conscience is correct or is wrong or is perfect. 
Notice he just said, if you want to be able to live with yourself, obey. This is um, because the soul has this part, the conscience, and it doesn't, um, how would you say it? It doesn't go away just because you got saved. Your conscience can be informed, it can be trained, it can be seared. It, you can have a good conscience or an evil conscience, but you can't get rid of it. You can't completely do away with it. And it is a part of us just as much or maybe even more than our hands or our eyes. It is a part of us, who we are. You can lose your arm. You can't get rid of your conscience. <laughs> and you're still you. Even after you're saved, you still have a conscience. And you have to pay attention to it. Um, if we go now back a few pages to Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, we see that the conscience is used by Paul to prove his own truthfulness. Paul used it, and Paul used it to great effect. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. He could stop right there. I'm saying the truth, I lie not. We all get the picture. He's trying to tell us that he is being honest with us. But then he says, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. The conscience of a Christian person can be reinforced by the Holy Ghost. Remember how I mentioned that the conscience is like a nerve or uh, something that can feel? It's the part of the soul that can feel something. If you have a guilty conscience, it has physical effects on us. I'm not saying that there is a nerve and you can pinpoint it. <laughs> but I'm saying that the Holy Ghost will use this nerve, the conscience, to bear witness, to confirm something with us. Or to tell us that we're guilty. In fact, we're told that the Holy Spirit's role is to do what? He is to um, convince the world of righteousness and of coming judgment. These are things that the conscience also does. It tells us that there is righteousness and that there is coming judgment. So we see the conscience here being tied in with the work of the Holy Ghost and Paul using it to verify what he is saying to the Christians he's speaking to. The conscience, therefore, is something we should know a little bit about. How do we get a good conscience? I think we will spend most of the rest of our time looking at a good conscience and how to have or keep it. Um, we will start in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 23, if you'll turn there with me. A good conscience is the way that the New Testament puts having a conscience that is trained by the Bible and is a solid foundation, something we can rely on. In Acts chapter 23, we have Paul speaking in uh, Jerusalem 
And in verse 1, we, we read this. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Uh, this is a pretty bold statement. I don't know if I could make that statement to you today, that I have lived in all good conscience. But we notice something more about the conscience in this verse uh, than has been explain, uh, shown to us so far. And that is that the conscience is coming uh, or making its testimony not before us, but before God. Remember I said that the conscience is like the nerve of the soul. The soul is our connection or our being that points towards God. And so in God's presence, our conscience is testifying or witnessing here. And Paul is saying, my conscience is clear. It's good before God. That's a bold claim. To have a conscience that's good before God, better be pretty, pretty certain of something before you say that it's good before God. He is saying that his life, how he has lived, is in a good conscience before God unto that day. No actions taken that weren't 100% what God had convinced him was perfectly right through the use of his conscience. Every single action individually. Not just that at the end of the day, he got to the end of the day and he'd say, oh, you know what? There's nothing in today that I feel guilty about. It's not that he came to the end of a year and said, you know what? There's nothing I would change about this year. But each individual thing that he was doing, the things that he was doing in his life, he was doing being fully convinced that they were perfect before God. That's pretty, a pretty uh, daunting thing to say. He was speaking before the Jews, and obviously the Jewish people had a very distinct view of the conscience. They had a well-developed idea of what the conscience was. Every year they would come and clean their sins away, but also clear their guilty consciences as a nation at the Passover. Every year they would come, they would offer the sacrifices, and they would deal not only with the sin, but also the conscious guilt of the sin. So when Paul says, I have lived in all good conscience, I'm sure that upset them. In fact, we know it did in verse 2, if you just quickly look there. Uh, Ananias, the high priest, commanded them to hit him. <laughs> hit him in the mouth. <laughs> He's speaking lies. Because it's impossible for man to live in all good conscience before God without a little bit of help, without having our sins forgiven, and then the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. It's impossible to do as Paul is saying he had done. But we've learned a little bit more about the conscience. There is such a thing as having a good conscience, that it is giving testimony before God day by day, moment by moment. It is not just a checkup once a year, but is continuous. 
and that it is something that we should desire to have. It is also something that the world cannot have. If you go to the next chapter, in Acts chapter 24, we see another use of conscience. Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. Uh, By the way, I'm hoping that you will get a little bit interested in this topic because I am not going to be able to deal with every instance of the conscience in the whole Bible. So you can go home and look up a few more. Study it out for yourself. Verse 16, Paul is again speaking. He says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Again, we get a a further refinement of the idea of the conscience. Paul is saying he exercises himself to have a conscience. Notice he's not exercising his conscience. The conscience is that inbuilt compass. It's continually judging you every second of the day, telling you what you're doing is right, wrong, you're in the correct path. Continually, you don't have to tra- uh, train your conscience in order for it to keep working. You just have to exercise your mind to start agreeing with the Bible about what your conscience should be saying. You know, you can ask a question in such a way to get the wrong answer or to hopefully get the right answer. Um, I've never done it, but there's those little Um, black balls where they have a couple of answers and you shake them and the answer comes to the top and you ask it a question and it comes up with yes, no or something. I, I don't know. I've never used them. But the truth is you can ask a question that would be really stupid. Like, should I jump off this cliff? Well, it doesn't matter what the answer is. It's a bad question to ask. Okay. If your mind is asking the wrong questions, If you're looking at your life in the wrong way, you will not be able to use your conscience effectively because you'll be asking all the wrong questions of your conscience. Instead of going about your days thinking, should I talk to this person and give them the gospel? Instead, you'll probably be thinking, you know, should I have that Big Mac or should I go for the Whopper? You know, like your conscience may tell you that both those options are wrong, or it may tell you that one or the other is right, but it's the wrong question. You need to have a mind that is so steeped in the word of God that you're asking the right questions of yourself, and the conscience then can inform your decisions, whether they are good or bad. Again, there in verse 16, he says, Herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience. Uh, Exercising, well, it's not something I do much of because it requires a lot of effort. (laughs) Uh, Thankfully, I work in a job that requires effort, so I don't have to go out of my way to exercise. But anyone who does exercise, it requires effort. You cannot exercise the conscience effectively, passively. You can't just say, oh yeah, well, you know, let the conscience do its thing. You have to actively be working on, you know, how can I live more 
before God in such a way that I will be, have a good conscience, a good testimony before God. It has to be an active thing. You have to purpose to do it. Also, let's see here that he says that this conscience is void of offense towards God and towards men. Being void or empty of offense, having given no offense, that is quite a task. I don't know about you, but my little girls, they, they have emotions. They have feelings. And sometimes you can offend them so easily. They go to grab something off the counter and you tell them no, and they're offended. <laughs> now, that's not an area where our conscience needs to be too worried. But it's so easy, and sometimes you don't even mean to give offense. Maybe you picked that thing up off the table because you were going to use it. And you weren't telling them no, you were just busy with that thing. And you caused an offense to them. It is easy to accidentally cause offense. You know, there's a number of people in this room. It would be hard to live your life and interact with this many people without offending somebody in something that you say or that you do. And yet, we are to practice, to exercise ourselves, to pay attention to our conscience so that we don't give offense towards anyone here. Um, the first step, of course, is though to not give offense to God. Uh, because if you're not offending God, then you're going to find it easier to not offend those who are around you. I think that's why Paul put it in that order, that he was void of offense towards God and toward men. We all need to have a good conscience, a conscience that has not any reason to accuse us. I wonder uh, if Paul's good conscience that he mentioned there in Acts chapter 23 was really a conscience that had never given offense or one that had never given offense unnecessarily and had never sought forgiveness or never sought to rebuild the relationship. I think the second one a good conscience, you get pricked in your conscience about something that you've said or done and you go and you make it right. The conscience performed its task. It is not necessary that we go through life perfectly, but rather that in every situation we realize what true and good is and we turn our life more towards that. This is true when you're orienteering. I don't know if any of you have done that trying to find your way through woods with just a compass and maybe a map, hopefully a map, <laughs> otherwise you might get lost, uh, you can get off track. But as long as you continually go back to the map and the compass, you should be able to get to your destination. The conscience is our compass. The Bible is our map. Keep getting into the map. Keep listening to your conscience telling you you're right, you're wrong, you've caused offense, and turn more towards the good, always. And you will stay on the path. 
There's so many more we could go to here. Let's see. We'll go to 1 Timothy next. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1. So as I've said, we've seen that everyone has a conscience, that Christians have a conscience, that our conscience can be good or bad. We haven't looked at any um, examples of evil consciences, but there are a number of places where um, Paul and others talk about having an evil conscience. Uh, here in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, we'll start in verse 5 says, now the end of the commandment is charity, that is love, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from the which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. We have here the main commandment to love one another. Charity is mentioned there as the end of the commandment or the pinnacle, the highest peak you can get to. But what's right next to this charity is that it has to come out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith that is unfeigned. That is, faith that is not pretend. All of these things are tied in with the conscience. The conscience is um, often referred to as our heart. In the Old Testament, in Especially, it doesn't use the word conscience, but it uses the word heart. Not all instances of the word heart are talking about that in the Old Testament, but where the conscience is dealt with, it is referred to as the heart. We have here the, a pure heart and faith that is unfeigned, that is not pretend. How do you know if your faith is pretend or not? Every one of us has doubts. How can you be certain that your faith is not pretend? Well, the key is in the middle there. Having a good conscience. The conscience bears witness. The Holy Ghost bears witness with our conscience. It testifies to us that we have truly believed. This is the way we know. Not the way that we think or hope, or um, possibly might, maybe have had faith. But no, we know that we have faith. It is not pretend. And it is only if those things are true, that we have a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned, that we can have the kind of charity or love one towards another that we ought. You say, oh, I want to obey Jesus' commandment to love one another. What do I need to do? Wrong question. What kind of heart do I need to have? What kind of attention to my conscience do I need to give? In what way is what I am doing true to love for my neighbor? Love for my fellow believer. Our conscience will let us know. 
again, I'm giving that warning, and this won't be the last time, but pretty close to uh, tonight. Don't just say, oh, my conscience is clear, therefore I can do whatever I like. Um, you can sear your conscience. But your conscience is an amazing tool. It is a weapon that the Holy Spirit can use in conjunction with, that is, alongside the Bible to convince us. You see, there's a difference between knowing something and being convinced of something. The Holy Spirit uses the conscience, which is a part of our soul, to convince us of the truth and to convince us that what we're doing is correct. Convince, uh, being convinced, being convicted that something is true will give us the courage to do things that are very difficult, including going out on the limb and loving those around us. Love takes a lot of risk. Love takes a lot of effort. Love sometimes gets hurt. To take those kinds of steps requires being fully convinced that you are right to love one another. The conscience is used for that. Later in the same chapter, verse 19, we have another connection with the conscience and faith. Paul says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. You cannot hold faith. You can't hold firm to it unless your conscience is working and you're abiding by what your conscience is saying. I don't think I'm stating that too strongly. Faith is very important. What you believe is extremely important. But if you are not convinced that it is right and you are doing something with even the slightest amount of doubt, that is, if you're saying, oh, if God really exists and sin is going to condemn me to hell, then I better take out an insurance policy. I'm not sure it's true, but, you know, I'll get saved and just tack that in my life as well. And then, you know, we're all good. You're not convinced. You're not believing unfeigned. You can't hold that faith in the middle of of trouble and at some point you're going to find an opportunity where putting away or losing your dropping your faith the pretense of your faith will seem to you the right idea but if you're fully convinced and your conscience is clear that this is true and right there's no turning back it'll be easy to hold it you see, it's not the faith part that the conscience can help with. It's the holding it that the conscience helps us with. It can be that glue, always pointing us back. Oh, you're getting off on your faith. You're getting off on your faith. Getting off on your faith. Okay, you're right on it. Now you're starting to veer to the right. Keep in the middle of that road. Don't run into the oncoming traffic. Keep in the middle. Here, the conscience is used to hold us fast to the faith. Because if you go off course, you'll make shipwreck. Paul gives some examples of those who had gone 
shipwreck. We don't know the hearts of those who have gone off, but we can guarantee you that their conscience was not clear before God. We can guarantee you that their conscience was not convinced of the rightness and goodness of the faith that they professed to hold. For they would not have been easily swayed. They would not have crashed on the rocks of life and drowned. So I I think we can see now that a good conscience is very, very important. A good conscience is something that we can't do without. It's an important thing to make sure we've got. Uh, Final passage before we close. In 1 Peter and chapter 3. The conscience is something that we have. It is not something that we can um, work up. Uh, Last week I used an illustration about driving over the speed limit. You can be obeying the law and being right under that speed limit as long as you want, but you go over that speed limit and you are breaking the law. It doesn't matter how many decades you've gone doing the right thing, stepping outside the law is breaking the law. Here we see that having a good conversation, uh, a good, not conversation, a good conscience is something that is continual and has to be worked up over your entire life. You can't let it slip. Verse 16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation, that is lifestyle, in Christ. The good conscience convinces you that you are right and will be shown to be right one day. Those who were accusing uh, these people, Peter says, they were going to be ashamed because they are speaking evil of those good things that um, the Christians were doing. In verse 21, we get the conscience once more, a good conscience. It says, The like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, that is, not saving us from sin, but is rather the answer of a good conscience toward God. Having a good conscience is something that you have to work on. It's something that you have to pay attention to. If you try walking without paying attention to your inner ear, you're going to trip and fall. If you try living the Christian life without paying attention to your conscience and striving to make good decisions, your conscience will accuse you. That's its job. You'll feel guilty, but you will also fail 
to do good things and not evil, you will fail to follow God because you will never be fully convinced in your heart that you are right, that God is right. You will always have that doubt. Oh, but maybe, maybe that's not the way to go. So, don't look inward too much. Don't focus on your conscience to the exclusion of the word of God. But I think it's time to do a checkup. Is your conscience working? Is it working properly? Can you say with Paul, I have a good conscience in all things up to this point, up to this very day? This is my goal, that I can stand with a good conscience before my Savior. And yes, I'd like to hear his well done, but not because I want his praise, but because when he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, it means my conscience was clear of offense towards God through my life. That's, that's what I want. <laughs> that's what I want, and that's what I want for you. Know what is right and wrong. Seek that which is right. God will give you faith if you will hold that faith being convinced that he saves and he alone. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you built us not just with bodies that are physical, but you have given us a soul and you have given us the conscience which accuses or excuses us. Father, we thank you that you have given us this moral compass that we can uh, look and see that there is right and wrong. Father, we ask that you would guide us through our consciences. Holy Ghost, we thank you for your indwelling. And we ask you to work with our consciences. Convince us where we are wrong and where we can go right. Convince us of how we can better serve you and show us the truth of your word. And Lord, we pray that your name would be magnified in all that we say and do. Amen.